Welcome to coffeeis.me podcast, where me means you, or more precisely, us. This is the show where your host, Valerian, without using any interrogation techniques, convinces coffee professionals to reveal their secrets to teach and inspire you to make better coffee and earn a few bucks on the side, if that's what you fancy. Let the show begin. Hey coffeeis.me listeners, welcome to another episode of Coffee Is Me podcast. Today I have a special treat for you. For a long time we always interview businesses and you know getting the secrets of the business, but I think that for many of us it's really refreshing to get the non-profits from the coffee world. So today I have a special guest, Lee Pike from the International Women's Coffee Alliance. Welcome Lee. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, that's my pleasure. You know, I think that this podcast really neglected this nonprofit world. And I think it's super, super important what you guys do. So, yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I mean, there aren't that many coffee nonprofits. Um, so, uh, but it is it is a growing need in, in the sector to make sure that, um, you know, marginalized communities are heard and appreciated. So um, I appreciate the opportunity to spread the word. I think there's many coffee companies which have certain missions. You know, they do business and they have certain missions. But you're right, there's not that many nonprofits. But after you, I will discover them and have them on a podcast. How about that? That sounds great. I'll send you some of my friends. Awesome. Thanks. You know, I always have this warm-up question where we kind of reveal your relation to the coffee. Do you remember your first sip of coffee? It's, you know, that's such a good question. And, and I don't remember the, the first sip, but I do remember um, some very uh, pivotal uh, coffee experiences. Um, I, I lived in Chicago for a number of years, and it's where I kind of fell in love with um, all sorts of food and, and cultures. And coffee was one of those. Um, there was a there was an intelligentsia uh, in the um, ground floor of an office um, building I worked in, and I would walk in and just smell the coffee, and it was kind of like a daily ritual to, um, you know, go in there and and talk to the baristas, and and, le- and that's where I started learning about um, kind of more sophisticated coffee culture, um, not just you know brewing, uh, you know, commodity coffee at home um, for the caffeine, but you know for the experience of it. So. Um, but, you know, I, I hear a lot of people's coffee tasting, you know, their first taste or, you know, a great cup of coffee. Those stories just stick with you. I think a lot of them uh, you remember because of the context and 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 coffee's central to a lot of those, um, you know, pivotal experiences we have as humans. I don't know if people know, but we process flavor or aroma, more precisely, sorry, we process aroma in the same system in our brain where we process memories. So many times if you uh, smell certain coffee or pie or, or any food, it can transfer you to the, to, the, to the past. And it's so true for me. Like anytime I smell the mocha pot coffee, which I don't drink anymore because it's not my favorite, but that was a coffee of my youth. I would almost say childhood, but I started to drink mm-hmm. coffee. I think I was 12 or 13, something like that. And that's what my mom made every morning. And anytime I have that coffee, I'm like, mm, yeah, I'm, I'm home with my mom when I was going to the school. So, yeah, you are right. It's it's very pivotal. Yeah. I have one question, uh, one more question about the your coffee story. Can you tell us what was your kind of development? You said that you went to that Intelligentsia Cafe. And what kind of beverages did you order order in the beginning of your coffee journey and how did they develop later? Yeah, uh, you know, I would order kind of typical gateway into, um, you know, more sophisticated coffee experiences, cappuccinos and sometimes have flavored syrups. They would always have really fancy specialty drinks. Um, but because I was able to have conversations with those baristas and they were so skilled and so knowledgeable, um, I soon branched out, um, you know, they were doing pour overs before, you know, like you see them everywhere now, but they, you know, it was a, um, it was a strange occurrence to see a pour over being done in a coffee shop. 
um, at that point. Um, and so, you know, I would branch out and, and, and started developing my palette, I guess, way back then. Um, when I left Chicago, that's kind of when I decided to, uh, embark on a coffee, um, career, you know, professional. And I got a job as a barista and started doing some, some sales and marketing. Um, and, and as a barista, I was really able to learn about, you know, the origins of coffee and flavor profiles and, you know, how to cup coffee, um, accurately. And, 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 you know, I was a beginner, so I didn't, I didn't know much about, um, the taste, but, you know, you just keep tasting, you just keep trying, you sometimes fake it, um, you know, and, uh, and, and then before you know it, you're, you know, you're tasting a cup of coffee and you're realizing, oh, I, you know, I can really pinpoint those, um, uh, you know, defects or, uh, the things that are really special about the coffee. And so, um, you know, it takes time and it just takes practice like anything. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so I, I kind of started as a barista, like many people do really glad I got that experience. And then, um, and then started doing some, some more sales oriented work. Uh, and then in my time at Larry's coffee in, in Raleigh, North Carolina, that's when, um, a customer of mine who was on the board of the International Women's Coffee Alliance, the IWCA, she um, she and I had some conversations about, you know, what it means to be um, female in this industry. And she introduced me to the organization and I started volunteering. Um, and it was just a great, you know, great community of people to be a part of. Um, great need for it at that time. And it's grown. I think there are only like 14 chapters when I first started, um, volunteering with them. And now there are 26. So, um, you know, it's, it's got, it's come a long way. Then we are talking about now international women's coffee Alliance, correct? That's right. Yeah. The name kind of says it, but I still going to ask the question, what is international women's coffee Alliance? So, um, IWCA is a, is a nonprofit that, uh, seeks to empower, um, women, across the coffee value chain, um, you know, so, to sustain meaningful lives. So, so that means in producing companies, um, farming, uh, countries, coffee farming countries, women, uh, you know, we, we help, um, the women and men it's inclusive form chapters to empower women in those communities to, um, really grow and excel in, in the coffee industry, um, maybe, um, help them seek resources that they don't usually have access to as much. Um, and then in, in non-producing countries, uh, where there are baristas, maybe importers, exporters, women who are roasting, um, it's just, you know, again, supporting them and empowering them to, uh, be, be seen and be heard in the industry. Can you tell us examples, like one very concrete example, how you guys help to the farmers? Yeah, um, you know, it's different in every country. And this is one thing I, I find really unique and um, exceptional about the IWCA. Uh, we don't go in with a plan and say this, this is how you have to operate. We really um, empower the women to, they create the chapter themselves. So there's a... Um, you know, protocol that they have to go through. It's a structure that we've come up with um, and they create their own board and goals and visions, all of that. Um, and then they um, start programs and, and create initiatives that help them in ways that are important in their own communities. Uh, so that differs in, you know, from Europe to Africa to um, the Middle East, you know, it's, it's all different depending on where you live and what your resources are. So, um, we have a, a whole, um, library of case studies on our website. So if anybody wants to check out, um, different stories about how these chapters have empowered women, that's a great, um, resource to go to. Um, one of my favorite stories is, uh, a chapter started their own coffee festival. Um, so they, uh, you know, organized, created, um, and executed a coffee festival in, um, 
an area that never had one before. And it was a great, you know, fundraising opportunity, but also brought the whole coffee community together. Um, they, they had, I, I don't think this was the first year, but the second year they had a barista competition. Um, and so, um, you know, it was just an opportunity for them to solidify their coffee community while, um, you know, gaining support for their chapter at the same time. Gotcha. Can you just tell us what chapter means? Yeah. So a chapter is a country specific, um, affiliation with the IWCA global network. Um, so like I said earlier, we now have 26 chapters all over the world and, um, you know, each chapter has their own goals and structure. Um, but, a, but a chapter, again, you have to go through the chapter um, formation protocol, which involves creating the infrastructure, um, you know, electing board members and leadership, uh, recruiting community members to be a part. Sometimes there are dues associated with that. Um, but it's just like, basically creating a, a community organization focused on supporting and empowering women in the coffee industry. So again, lots of time men are members of these chapters, um, families, you know, ch children of women who um, work in the coffee industry. Uh, anybody could be a member of the chapter, um, but they're all there with the goal of supporting and empowering women. Why do you think it's important to support uh, women farmers? You know, I think that it's such a good question um, that a few years ago, people really didn't understand. And I think when you ask that question now, it's kind of like everybody gets it. You know, there are um, barriers to um, growth and success and uh, financial um, security that women face, um, especially in some of these uh, lower socioeconomic status countries where our chapters are located. Um, so, you know, it's important to support women farmers because they don't always have the same access um, that men have to owning their own land or um, access to training and resources. And so a lot of times our chapters, you know, with the support of IWCA Global, um, you know, they approach their governments to make sure that laws are fair to the women, um, that they, you know, can own land, that they uh, can have, get, they can get loans like their male counterparts and have access to financial resources so that they can really participate um, on equal playing field with um, the men in the industry as well. So, you know, I think in um, non-producing countries, it's important to support women because it's just, it's a historically, you know, male dominated field. Um, and so just access to opportunities. I mean, think about the coffee roasters, you know, I mean, I think the minority are, you know, that everybody knows are women. Um, and so just being, being exposed to those opportunities, being given an opportunity to become a roaster or, um, you know, a, an executive in a coffee company, those, those, those issues aren't just unique to the coffee industry, you know, they're unique to all industries. Um, but with coffee specifically, I think, um, you know, in agricultural communities, it's super important to support the women because, because they're really, um, restricted in the amount of, um, you know, access to resources that they have. I totally agree with you. And you can look at the guests on this podcast and you can see the ratio of women and men. And I don't have any alliance with any gender. Actually, there was time when I tried to find more uh, women to the podcast. And it's very hard. I mean, you're right. These, our industry is male-dominated. But there's also a question in me. Why, why do you think is coffee industry so male-dominated right now? You know, I think it stems from some of the, you know, the issues that come from producing com countries. So if um, if at origin, it's more likely that a man would own land and then grow the coffee and sell it 
to a buyer, um, you know, that makes sense that then they would be interacting more with men. I, I also think that, you know, there's a, there's an amount of, um, you know, with buying coffee, with importing, there's just an amount of uh, prestige and experience that comes along with that and also financial security um, that maybe men have had more of an, more access to. So I think just the culture stemming from the origin um, might be a reason why it's more male dominated. And then, um, you know, access to resources all along the value chain. And then, you know, I think um, when you get to uh, the side of the value chain where people are roasting coffee and, um, you know, making specialty coffee drinks, it becomes sort of a, more of a show, more of a performance. And, you know, I think traditionally men have been more comfortable uh, being in the spotlight and, um, and there just seems to be kind of a, an edge, a cool element about coffee, um, you know, that was kind of started and maintained by kind of, you know, hipster white males. Um, and, and that's changing um, drastically. And it's so nice to see more women, you know, in barista competitions or people of color, um, you know, in cup of excellence competitions. Uh, and, and it's, you know, I think that's a, it's a unique um, problem that we see in the United States that the people that are roasting, that are buying, roasting, brewing the coffee look a lot different than the, the people that are actually planting and picking and processing the coffee. So, you know, one reason the IWCA is so important is to make that connection between the origin of the coffee and the people there and the cup of coffee that people drink all over the world. Um, so, you know, that connection and, and making it look, you know, the people that are brewing it look more like the people that farm it, I think is, is a beautiful thing. Do you think that if you are male and you present that coffee, whether you are roaster, let's say, and uh, you market it as a male or as a female, is there a difference in the perception of a general consumer? Um, you know, I think people are paying more attention to where their coffee comes from. And so, uh, so I think, yes, I think it does, it does make a difference. I mean, I don't think people are really turned off necessarily by it being male versus female. Um, but I would say that, you know, as, as a female, um, my my ears perk up when I hear, you know, a woman is doing something interesting with coffee and I will seek it out to purchase it and taste it. Um, and I think that that's the same for a lot of um, kind of marginalized communities. You want to see, you know, you want to see somebody that looks familiar to you doing something. Um, and it's exciting when you see that. And so I think people people seek out that familiarity. Um, in order to know that there's a place for them in the world. Yeah, I mean, I'm asking this question very selfishly, <laughs> simply because I have my roasting business in Slovakia. And when the whole Me Too movement happened, and we had all these conversations with my wife, sometimes with a lot of fire and disagreement. But, you know, I, I came to the point when I realized many of the issues what uh, uh, women are facing in a workplace. So I decided to make changes for Green Plantation. And, you know, when anybody applies for a job, we try to look for the female perspective, because I think that there is always a different perspective from, from a uh, women point of view. And because our company wants to address uh, both genders, it's very important to have that. Plus, you know, we started to look into coffees which are uh, produced by uh, women. And that was very hard. We we are not buying from origin. We are too small uh, to buy from origin. We are buying from importers. And at that time, it was very hard. It got easier. And now we always offer one, two, sometimes three lots out of seven, which are which are women producers. We started to, we didn't market it very well on our website yet. We just mentioned it because every coffee has its story. But for the wholesalers, we started to 
market as this one is a, is a uh, woman producer. And I was just curious, you know, what's your opinion about it? Because for us right now, we don't see any difference in approach to that. It doesn't mean we stop it, not at all. I'm just saying that today it's not like that. For me, I agree with you. I love any product from a minority. I'm minority myself. I'm Hungarian minority in Slovakia, so I grew up all the time as a Hungarian minority in beginning from Czechoslovakia, when we split from Slovakia. Just to give you an estimate, it's like Slovakia has probably 10% of Hungarians there. And then later, when I moved to the United States, again, I'm a, I'm a uh, minority, I'm an immigrant here, right? I'm still not a citizen. And I always feel with this minority. So anytime I can try wine, for example, from women producers, which I'm into, I, I love that experience. Anytime I can see uh, other minorities producing things, I'm just curious what's their perspective on that product. So yeah, it's, it sounds super exciting. I think anytime, you know, it's a, it's a long game, right? It's, it's not off. Sometimes it doesn't, the change doesn't happen overnight and you don't get, you know, fireworks just because you bought, you know, a lot from a female producer, but that support, um, and just showing your wholesale customers that, that you do support it. And I think it's really powerful when, when, men show that support and, you know, financially and in marketing, um, you know, it's not just women that are supporting other women, but, you know, the, I think there's a, there's a quote on the IWCA homepage, um, from Kofi Annan, and it's about how, you know, communities really thrive when, when women are involved in all levels of the economy and, um, and professional life, it's it's not just so that we lift up women, it's because it really improves um, everyone's lives, right? And so having those different perspectives, like you said, I mean, hiring women, um, having them taste the coffee, they, they bring a, a diverse and unique perspective that it, it just makes your company better. It makes it um, more accessible to more people. And so hopefully that will, you know, translate to dollars and exposure and um, and better coffee. Definitely more fun. I think that working in an environment where you have different opinions, different point of views is for me, at least, it's much more exciting because it makes me think more. I have to say I'm not a person who pushes one opinion i'm very probabilistic everything in my head is like with a question mark and more inputs that question marks becomes uh, full stop i already kind of opened this question with my obsession with wine when i said that i seek uh, women producers i don't know why maybe it's my kind of feeling with minorities throughout my life and i'm rooting for them or maybe i found some flavor there which i'm seeking i don't have answer for that but what is your opinion do you think that we can taste the difference or we can we somehow sense the different approach of a women woman producer versus a male producer god that's, that's so interesting to think about um i would say Yes, that there are nuances to the way uh, men and women, you know, treat their um, crops and, you know, produce the coffee, uh, the way they process it. Um, even some of the, you know, I think where it's most evident is in some of the experimental processes that um, farmers are um working with. So, um, I was speaking with, uh, a coffee farmer in Oaxaca. This was a few months ago and she was experimenting with fermenting her coffee crop, I think with kefir maybe, or some other fermenting substance. Uh, and I was just so interested, you know, it's just things come to mind um, in with diverse populations that might not have occurred 
to maybe more mainstream processes um, and you and you just get you get more experimentation and um, and you know I, I think it's so interesting to think about the very nuanced flavor differences. I mean, depending on you know the so the the origin, the soil, the country, the climate, this all affects um, the crop, um, the coffee, and the taste. And I think some people might not have the palate to discern those differences, but I think a lot of coffee people do. And I think, you know, people that taste wine or, um, are into craft beer, like those are very similar, um, taste experiences. Um, and so it would just make sense that the way the crop is treated, um, you know, how it's handled and how it's processed would also affect the, those flavor profiles. Um, but we should do, you know, we should do an experiment. We should, um, we should get some, you know, Q graders together and see if they can tell a difference between, you know, do a blind taste and see if they can tell a difference between uh, coffee produced by men or coffee produced by women. Doesn't that sound fun? It sounds fun. It also sounds super hard because of the vast origins and vast terroirs. It can be interesting. It's definitely something as a long-term exploration path can be interesting. And I would totally, if there are some wine professionals listening, uh, invite you to do the same uh, in wine. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, it's it's very weird. I, I always ask this question myself, like, why do I prefer these lots? What's in it? Obviously, for green plantation, we want to help. So we seek these out for when it comes to wine i don't know and there's i don't know i don't have an answer but how about if you have uh, a woman farmer who is listening today and says this sounds awesome i want to i want to participate how they can participate with you yeah so um because we have 26 chapters there might very well be a chapter in your area um that you can join and just get you know get involved right away um if there's not a chapter, then you can reach out to IWC Global and learn about the chapter formation process. Um, we have um, we have four staff members on IWCA, so we have an executive director. Uh, we have a chapter manager. Um, her name's Blanca, and she is amazing. She speaks so many different languages. is is able to you know kind of relate to all kinds of cultures and is super helpful in the chapter formation protocol. So she kind of walks, um, walks people through from the, you know, they have to submit a letter of intent to form a chapter and then through, you know, becoming a, a fully formed chapter as part of the IWCA global network. Um, she's there for, for them through that whole process. So, if there's not a chapter in your area, uh, definitely reach out to us and um, and we will help you get one started. On the other hand, we have coffee roasters and coffee companies who you know want some profit if they selling certain coffees. Uh, what do you think is the main benefit for them to seek out coffees, for example, from your list? We have a, a partnership program. Um, that businesses can um, become a part of where they can use the IWCA logo on their marketing. Um, and that I think just gives some credibility to, you know, this coffee comes from an IWCA chapter um, and, and people are starting to recognize the IWCA logo and, and um, you know, visual aspects more now, um, so, so I think that that's a that's a huge benefit to companies to be associated with um, an organization like the Women's Coffee Alliance. Um, we also have a um, we we do have the green coffee availability list, which we've had for years, um, but we are in a kind of a testing phase of a um, coffee roasting uh, IWCA you know roasters that use IWCA chapter coffee. Um, and so that list will be published very soon. And so as a roaster that uses coffee from IWCA chapters, um, you'll get that additional exposure too. And, and, and so you get, you know, an added layer of marketing um, and publicity for your coffee if you're using 
you know, coffee from the green availability list, and then you will get listed as a roaster of, um, of IWCA chapter coffees. Uh, and then again, you know, if you're interested in partnering and, and having the IWCA logo on your coffee products, on your bags, on your, um, you know, coffee products that use IWCA chapter coffee, you can also reach out to us about, about partnering in that way, um, to, to get that additional marketing kind of punch. Um, but again, I think, you know, the craft, craft movement, the farm to table, the, transparency elements of food and beverages is just making people very aware um, and want to seek out and know where they're, you know, what they're consuming, where it comes from. And so having an organization like International Women's Coffee Alliance backing your product, I think that just gives it the credibility um, that people are looking for. It's kind of, you know, it's like a organic certification seal or a fair trade seal. Um, you just get the trust of the consumer when they know that you're partnering with an organization that has the credibility. You already mentioned that you guys sell this coffee. Is it correct? Is it available somewhere else too? And is it available globally? That's important. You know, my company is in Slovakia and is, is it available in Europe? Yeah, it's available everywhere. Um, we, the International Women's Coffee Alliance does not sell the coffee. Um, we partner with, um, you know, coffee farmers and coffee roasters to make connections and to, uh, empower, um, women in, in those fields. Um, but we don't, we don't do any of the selling. Um, again, we have, we have some marketing partnership, uh, opportunities, um, and so we get a little residual uh, revenue from those, but we do not, we do not, you know, list the coffees or sell them on our website or, um, you know, in retail outlets. We, we leave that to already established coffee companies um, and really, you know, support them in, in supporting the women coffee farmers. I've seen that you have very uh, impressive sponsors or sustaining partners uh, I know sustaining partnership from NPR uh, for Europeans, that's a national public radio United States, but I don't know anything about yours. So tell us more about yours. I know I that's NPR is the you know prime example of sustaining partnership. I am also an NPR sustaining partner. Um, so we I, are, by the way. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we have a few different levels of how you can invest in IWCA and the empowerment of women in the coffee industry. Um, our sustaining partners are kind of our, our biggest supporters. Um, that includes um, Starbucks and Pete's Coffee. Um, and you can reach out to Kellum, who's our executive director, if um you know, if you're interested in becoming a sustaining partner, or if you know somebody that might be interested, uh, we also have, um, again, those, those kind of marketing partnerships, co-ventures and licenses, um, those bring in a little bit of revenue. And we have, um, companies like, um, artisan coffee imports, ampersand coffee. These are people that we share logo licenses and co-venture partnerships, um, with, um, my favorite level of support, um, is like you said, you know, a, a actually called an IWCA supporter. Um, and this, this is a $500 level for a year, but you can split it up. You can give monthly, you can give it all in one lump sum. And it really helps just sustain the infrastructure of the organization. So, um, you know, like I said, we have only four staff members, two are full-time and two are part-time. It's a lot of work with 26 chapters to, um, to support them and to you know, just do all the, the kind of the overhead work that comes along with um, running a nonprofit at, at that kind of capacity. And so these um, supporters really allow us to, um, you know, to, to be sustainable as an organization. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a pretty small um, sum. It could be you uh, hold an event, which, 
you know, I've, I've done these um, in my community and I've helped other people in their own communities. And it's, th these are really fun. You know, a lot of them are virtual right now, but um, you know, hold an event where you sell tickets for $10 and if 50 people come, you know, you give that to IDCA and you become a supporter. So it can be, you know, it can be a lot of different ways that you, um, that you develop that, that financial aspect of the supporter program. Um, we also have some, you know, people that partner with us on specific programs, uh, like, um, there's a company called fire dancer and, um, they do a lot of coffee training and cupping, uh, and, since the pandemic and we aren't able to get together in person to cup coffees, um, they've been accepting coffee samples from IWCA chapters and having their team, um, as well as other, um, professional coffee cuppers around the world, um, taste the coffees and give the chapters feedback. Um, so that's a great program, uh, where coffee farmers can get real professional, relevant feedback about the taste of their coffees um, that give them, you know, more ideas on how to improve, uh, improve their processes. Um, so again, lots of reason or lots of ways uh, to support, I mean, you know, Amazon Smile, you know, all kinds of things you can do to support the IBCA. But I would say if you're interested, you know, just go to our website or get in touch with me and, and you're, you know, welcome to put my email, um, in the show notes as well. Cause it's a, that was a lot of information. Uh, if you want to partner with us or support us, there are so many ways you can do it. Um, and no matter what your means are, um, we'll find a way to get you involved. I have usually on this podcast, some closing questions, which are kind of the same, but I cannot ask you, like what kind of business you would start with $10,000 because you, you are non-profit. So I rephrase this question. And my question would be, if I would give you $10,000, what would you spend it on in order to help your cause? So I, so I study nonprofit management and what resonates with me so much is that the general public has this idea that you know, overhead and infrastructure is kind of uh, not necessary. Um, and they really want their money to go to um, specifically to the cause or to the people that are, you know, being benefited from from the organization. And that's that's totally valid. And uh, the majority of our revenue, you know, goes back into uh, the infrastructure to help um help women and and other people that want to support women to create these chapters and to sustain these chapters and also to get the word out um you know the marketing and um and all that about uh you know coffee produced by women um but the infrastructure is very important right so it takes um it takes expertise, um, like our chapter manager that I've talked about, you know, so impressed with her ability to engage all of our chapters. Well, you know, she deserves a salary. And, um, so I think that infrastructure and overhead, uh, you know, some of it would go to that, but we also have, um, some really awesome programs that uh, that directly support the chapters that um, are all over the world um, that are affiliated uh, with us. And so, you know, I think I think people just need to understand that uh, that we do have programs. We have the coffee availability lists. Um, we have the case study library. We do webinar programs. We do training. Um, we have, you know, a global network of, of communities, um, where we engage and connect. We have the licensing program. Um, but these all take, uh, these all take expertise and time and work to execute. So, um, I would say that, you know, if we had um, kind of a, a large donation, that that just helps us sustain the organization and these programs that directly benefit the women um, and 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 to not, you know, to not shy away from the fact that 
uh, that expertise and, and infrastructure is needed. It means that you would spend it on your boss's salary. Is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> well, so I would just say we want to be transparent and say that, you know, some of some of the money that that we raise, it's necessary that it goes to infrastructure. I get it. Um, but yeah, but most of it goes to um, supporting the programs that elevate, uh, amplify market visibility for um, for our chapter members and women um, in the producing and consuming countries. I get it. Not too many people know. Actually, I never really talked about this on this podcast, but my background is I'm a political scientist and I used to work for nonprofits, human rights, nonprofits in my homelands. That's how I started my whole career. And I later worked in post-war Kosovo and Bosnia-Herzegovina. So I, I get that infrastructure is very important, but also I get that people are many times worried that, you know, the whole organization eats up the money on their uh, infrastructure and they will not give enough back to their cause you know and i think the right way here is like you mentioned i think before is the transparency and kind of just show that look this is what's going to ha- this is what's happening this is what we do and we need professionals for this it's not everybody can do that right i mean maybe some nonprofits are okay with having only volunteers but i remember when i was working a nonprofit i was volunteering for a long time and I really loved what I did. And if the organization would not find money for me, you know, I would not be able to stay with them. And that was cool cool that they did. And I was working with them for a longer time and I enjoyed every second of it. So I, I get it. I think that you are right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And remember in the beginning when I said, when I was introduced to IWCA and they had something like 14 chapters, at that point they were completely a volunteer organization. And so in the past four years to almost double the number of chapters and visibility um, to create these availability lists, case studies, you know, training and leadership programs, that came because we decided to become, to, to move to a staffed model so that we would have, you know, paid leadership that was really dedicated to making all this stuff happen. So, um, you know, if you want to sustain um, this organization, if you want to help the sustainability of it, if you really believe in empowering women, um, you know, I think you can trust that our organization is going to do everything they can to um, to amplify, you know, those, the, the work and the the love of coffee that these women have. Um, and that's our, that's our main goal, goal, obviously. Um, but yeah, that infrastructure is just something that I, not a lot of people know, and I just like talking about. So I appreciate your um, willingness to, to engage with me on that. Sure. Do you have any questions or question for me? Um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> coming from, you know, as you mentioned your background in nonprofits and, you know, as a coffee industry professional, um, and you have, you know, you have knowledge of different cultures and um, opinions. You know what I would I would get, I would ask what could the IWCA do maybe to grow our reach or to engage people that maybe don't know about the organization? Um, I mean, obviously, uh, podcasts and things like that where we get to talk about it and new people get to hear about it. That's one way, um, but. You know, I'd, I'd be curious to hear if you have any other ideas. Hmm. You know, that, I usually don't get these questions ahead. So I, you know, I did not have uh, time to prepare a complete list because we, I tell you, I would, I would be more than happy to. But I think that, look, throughout the conversation, I try to kind of get you to tell us where we can really get your coffee. And when I mean we... There's a lot of small roasters here. Not everybody is uh, can go and buy coffee at origin. And let me tell you, like even in Slovakia, you know, when we started, we were the only roaster in 2012 who did light roast and specialty coffee. Today, I think there are like 30 coffee roasters. So, but they're all small, so they cannot really uh, go to the origin. And I think that it's true for every country in the world. To and you need to address these uh, organizations, uh, these roasters somehow, make them, uh, 
make sure that they can purchase your your coffees from your uh, farmers very easily. It's very accessible. I think that if the best thing you could do, let's say for me, would be that if I can go to my favorite importer in Europe and I see your logo next to certain coffees, that would make my work easier. And you also, of course, you know, with purchasing that coffee, I get the, all the information what I'm buying, which I guess I guess you guys are doing. But I think that would be the best way how to spread your word through these roasters and also help this roaster to spread the word to the consumers. I think that, 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 that's what comes to my mind uh, as a first thing. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I'm not, you're right. Not a lot of roasters can go to the green availability list and just connect with a, a buyer directly. And um, like that capacity is not realistic sometimes. So working with importers to make sure that, that they're, um, you know, bringing in coffees from IWCA chapters and, and advertising it, um, and make, you know, making that transparency a priority, um, something we should look at. So thank you for that idea. Sure. And I looked at your website and I love the wide range of origins you getting the coffee from, or you are working with. And there were some, like you mentioned Yemen. Yemen is in a civil war right now. That was, I guess, super hard for you uh, to get, you know, to establish a chapter there. Or there were some other countries which are not that, quotation mark, cool in the specialty world, but yet super interesting because things are happening everywhere in the world. People are, the, even the farmers have internet, so they see what's happening in the specialty world. So saying, for example, that Vietnamese coffee is only Robusta is not valid today. I mean, there are people who are working with Arabicas and they're doing some interesting processes. Same thing with Laos. I mean, I had coffee from Laos one time and it was very interesting. The guy was uh, doing experimental processes long, long before anybody else. So I really appreciate that you, your organization works in different origins. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the countries where there is kind of cultural and political strife, it is it is difficult. But, you know, we just again, we don't our organization does not go into these areas and dictate what they need to get to do. So it really is a testament to um, the chapter leaders in Yemen. Um, you know, they they submitted a letter of intent and they formed their own chapter in the middle of, of all that strife. And so, um, it just goes to show, you know, how important it is and, and, um, uh, what a priority it is for them to have a, you know, have a chapter like that where they feel supported. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's not just the specialty coffee world that we, um, support it's, it's commodity coffee and, Arabica, Robusta, whatever, a anywhere in the coffee industry where there are women working, um, you know, we want to be present and support them. So, um, so yeah, Vietnam was an interesting one too. Uh, we just actually had our first uh, European chapter formed this year. It was Germany, um, so that was very exciting. Um, and the United States is, uh, uh, they have a chapter that's in formation currently. Um, but yeah, it's it's. You know, we have a um, we have a WhatsApp uh, group chat with all of the chapters all over the world, and it is just astonishing. You know how connected it makes you feel. You know, globally, if you have um, connections like that, I think it's one of the kind of like intangibles of working with this organization is that you know when there's a there, when there's a hurricane in the United States or when there's a earthquake um, somewhere else or, um, you know, political uprising, it's so heartwarming because everyone around the globe, all the IWCA chapters reach out in support of one another. Um, and it's it's just it's a really lovely community of people, not just supporting people um you know, professionally and as related to coffee, but personally as well. So, and that's really important in this day and age is to feel that interpersonal connection. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great group of women to, to be involved in. Super impressive. 
All right, Lee, now it's your time to plug away. So where can people find you and what's happening? Um, go to womenincoffee.org. You can find all the things I talked about, the case study library, the ways to support you know, sustaining partner programs. Um, and I would say if you have any questions, just reach out to me directly. Um, you can email me. Uh, it's Lee, L-E-E dot P, like Paul, um, Lee dot P at Larry's coffee.com. Um, yeah, we're a roaster in Raleigh. So if you want to check out our products too, or if you want some samples, I can send them to you. Um, but, the, but the IWCA is, is, is a great organization. I'm so proud to be a part of it. And so womenincoffee.org, um, check it out, you know, follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um, hopefully the board is going to be doing some Instagram live, um, sessions. So you might see my face light up Instagram sometime soon and, um, you know, follow IWCA on Instagram to find out more about that. Um, yeah, we have a we have a um, a great campaign going on right now. It's in honor of International Coffee Day, which was on the first, and International Day of Rural Women, which is on the fifteenth. Um, and you can donate in honor of uh, a woman who has empowered you or a person who has empowered you. Um, and so we're getting lots of great messages about. Um, you know, how mentors have empowered their mentees or how mothers have empowered their daughters or um, just really amazing messages about people supporting one another. Um, so if you go to womenincoffee.org and take action, you'll see more information about that um, specific campaign. Um, yeah, so I think I think that about covers it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining Coffee Is Me podcast. And uh, I wish you not only good luck, but I wish you a lot of success. Thanks. Thank you, you too. And I hope we connect in, you know, other capacities down the line. So I appreciate you um, having me on the podcast. It was super fun. And let me talk about coffee and IWCA. All right. Bye. Bye.